you know, digging into these why questions. And I think if we're, if we're honest with ourselves as we follow the Lord, as we follow Christ, there, there are things that happen in our lives that we just can't explain sometimes. How, how do you know that when, when you do something wrong and you know it's your fault, it's like, okay, God, I deserve that. I surrender. Here's the white flag, right? I deserve it. And, and, and there's this sense of, um, even in those situations, there's this sense of control that like, okay, I messed up and I have to do this penance and, and, and I'll, I'll try to get better. I'll try to make things right in my life. And we, we, you know, we can kind of work through those things. But then there are things that happen in our lives that we just can't explain. And then it's like, okay, well, how do I explain this one? And, and I believe there are times that, that God will allow us to, to go through things in our life to where we get to the point to where all we have is him. So we get to the point in our life where, where there's nothing else but, but Jesus. And there's nothing else but to hold on to him and to, and to cling on to him. And, and I believe those times are the times that we go through those trials and the suffering that all we have is him. Because, I mean, you know, when, 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 you're going, when things are going well in your life, you're, you're not thinking about it, are you? You're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Everything's going great, right? And everything's wonderful and great. And Syracuse has won three in a row and four in a row. And we're so happy. And they beat two ranked teams last week. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! All right, anyways. Um, but then all of a sudden, there's these times in our lives where we're like, man, I, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't understand why this happened. And what can happen, it can, it, can, it can rattle our belief. It can shake our belief. And we've all gone through those times. And so how do we deal with the times of suffering? And why does God allow us to go through those times? And, and, and you probably have these conversations made with people you work with or family members. And they may even ask the question, well, if God's such a, a loving God and such a good God, why would he allow suffering? Why does he allow bad things to happen? And at one time or another, you're, you're, you're trying to share your belief with someone. And that question will inevitably always come up. And there's so many times we just feel inept to come up with the right answer. Because you're like, man, you know, they're like, here, here it is. Ready? I'm going to get you on this one. If God is so good, why is there suffering? If you truly believe in God, why are you going through these things? But here's the thing. When we, when we dig into the word of God, we dig into the Bible, it the thing I love about the word of God, it doesn't hide suffering. It doesn't hide the fact that we will suffer. And it doesn't hide the fact that there are so many, as you read through the word of God, that suffered for God's sake, for Christ's sake, and God helped them through their times of suffering. So we have to come to the realization right off the bat that the Bible never promises us a troubled, free life. Amen. Amen. That's the big thing, because I know some of you, you're thinking, man, I started following Jesus and my life got worse. The circumstances started to go downhill. What's up with that? You know, I started following Jesus and I lost my job, right? Or whatever, whatever has gone on in your lives. And if we're, if we're not careful, um, we can think that just because I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, I'm not, I'm not going to have these troubles. But we will, and the Bible speaks to those things. So I want right off the bat, I want to look at two passages in the new testament one i want to look at acts chapter 14 and and paul the apostle paul speaking here kind of giving us a realistic view on on our lives and and that it's not going to be trouble free that we are going to go through difficult times and then i want to look at, at what peter has to say about this in first peter so let's first look at acts i just want to look at a couple of verses here in acts 14 19 
through 22. And, and let's see what Paul says here, because Paul's kind of describing his first missionary journey. And, and what you're going to see is how wonderful and how perfect everything went for Paul. Paul never had issues or problems or troubles on any of his missionary journeys. Everybody loved him. They welcomed him with open arms. They threw out the red carpet. Every person that Paul talked to the Lord, or talked to people at the Lord about, they got saved. They just loved him. And if you believe that, I've got some swamp land in Florida I'd like to tell you, right? So let's, let's see here um, in verse 19 what happens here. It says, it says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and had won the crowd over. And they, they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. That's a bad day right there, right? Here he's just preaching Jesus and they stone him and drag him out to, for, for dead. But after his disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Paul, what are you thinking? And the next day he had Barnabas, and, and thank God he had Barnabas, because Barnabas was just an encourager. That's what his name means, encourager. And I'm sure Barnabas was right there on his side and left for Derby. And then look at verse 21. They, they returned to Antioch in Syria, and he says, it says, they, they preached the good news in the city and, and won a large number of disciples. Praise God. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And this is what he says. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, now look over at First Peter chapter 1. Let's read that together, verses 6 and 7. What, what does Peter say here? He says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer griefs in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even through, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would just help us here. For those that are here that are just struggling, for those that are here that have deep wounds, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us today and show us that you have a plan for us. And that even in the midst of our trials and the things that we go through, there is hope. And so I pray you bring your hope to this place here this morning. And the only hope we have is in your son, Jesus. So bring that to us this morning, we pray in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. What I love about both of these passages is that both Peter and Paul are, are very honest about what we're going to go through. In both passages, Paul and Peter give us the truth about trials and suffering. And, and the truth is that they're actually part of the Christian walk. And so here's the background of, of Paul. Paul is on his first missionary journey, and he's, he's in what is now modern-day Turkey. And, and it's, it's just hard for him there. I mean, some people have come to know the Lord. Some people have rejected it and, and want to kill him. So he's not very popular, and to the point to where he's dragged off. But Paul keeps going and going. In fact, going back to the same place where they were very hostile towards him. But he doesn't give up. And this is what he says to the disciples, those that are following Jesus too. He encourages them to stay faithful. And he says, listen, we will go through many trials. 
uh, on our way to heaven. And I believe that God will use these trials in our lives as we make our way towards heaven. And so Peter tells them that trials will strengthen us and prove our faith to be genuine. And so the question is, how do we respond to suffering in our life? That's the question. Because we know that the Bible says they will come. So how do we respond to when these difficult issues happen in our life that, that we sometimes don't understand? Because sometimes we suffer because, like what I said earlier, of bad choices, and we have to live with those choices. Uh, there are consequences to my actions. Yet there are times that we go through things that we just can't explain. Um, C.S. Lewis just explains this well in his book, The Problem of Pain. And he went through so many things. He was injured in World War I. He lost his wife, had some health issues, just went through all these things. And C.S. Lewis, trying to explain all these things, says this. He goes, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. And it is, it's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How do you know that when you're listening to somebody and, and they have gone through trials and issues in their lives, all of a sudden you listen. It's like when, when someone's going through this pain and the suffering, all of a sudden you're listening. It's, it's interesting. I was listening. They were giving out an award for the, the, the NFL last night. I was listening to the award show. And there was one player, the tight end for the Carolina Panthers, and him and his wife went through the same struggle that Kathleen and I went through, same heart defect that our, Kathleen and I went through with our first child 20-something years ago. And all of a sudden when he, when he started speaking, and started talking about, all of a sudden, I'm zeroed into Greg Olson because I'm like, I know what they went through. And they spoke about what they're doing, doing in North Carolina and how many great things that they have done to help to, to progress some of these things and get awareness to heart defects and so on and so forth. And so I'm like, I'm glued in because I'm hearing their pain. I, I get it, right? And you may hear someone else that they've gone through this pain and they speak and all of a sudden you're like, man, I can relate to that. I know what that's like. It is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I believe that sometimes it is through our pain and our suffering that people begin to listen, that our ears become attentive, that, that our hearts become sensitive to God's word and to God's voice. And I do believe that God use it, uses that. So here's where we have to be careful. This is where we need to be careful because if we don't respond to suffering in the right way, we can easily get derailed in our Christian walk. And, 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 and when we go through a trial or we are suffering, there's usually two responses to that suffering that we normally go through. So when we go through this trial, there's usually two things, two ways that we respond to this suffering. So let me give you a couple of these things, and you've got those in your notes if you're following along. First of all, here's the first mistake that we make. First mistake we make is moralism. Moralism. So what do I mean by that? Moralism says, if I do good things, then good things will happen to me. It's that old, so so if, if, I'm, if I'm a good person, then, then obviously good things are going to happen. But that, that, that's a fallacy. See, see if, if we, we think if I live a good life, then good things will follow. And Christians can easily fall into this belief also. Now, are we supposed to live a good life? Yes, we are. And if you make right choices, obviously, you know, you're not going to have to pay the consequence of bad choices that you make in your life. But there are things that happen in our life that sometimes are beyond our control and that we just can't point to. But wait a minute, I was a good person. Why does this happen? Because I'm good, right? I'm doing good things. I'm trying to follow you, Jesus. And blah, 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 right? I came to church today on Super Bowl Sunday. Does that count for something, God? 
something, right? And so some of you may feel, well, I started following Jesus and then things just started to go wrong. And, and, and why are these things happening to me? And the, the truth is we're never promised that everything will go our way. And what happens with this moralistic thinking is we begin to ask questions like, what must I do? God must be punishing me. I need to pray more. I need to do better things. My faith isn't strong enough. I, 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 I don't have enough faith. And if I had more faith, these things wouldn't be happening to me. Every, I don't care who you are. Every single one of us struggle with this. Because once again, it goes back to me trying to say, I want to fix this. And God's saying, wait a minute. You've got to relinquish full control unto me. You may not understand this. You may not understand the situation. But you've got to relinquish full control unto me. Here's the second response to suffering that we may falsely believe. And, we, and this is happenstance. This is where we just say, you know what? Happenstance says life is all about chance. Life is all about chance. You know, you just, it, life is one big dice roll, right? It's all coincidence. Everything is just random by accident. And because, it, because of suffering, it just makes God indifferent. God doesn't really care because it's just life. And, and I refuse to believe in a God like that. But I want you to see, whether it's, it's this moralism or happenstance, what we have to realize is both these thought patterns are wrong. And in order for us to understand the world we live in, we must understand the cause of pain and why we see so much pain and suffering in our world today. You're not going to want to miss next week. Because we're going to look at why do bad things happen to good people or why is there evil in the world? And it's going to be good next week, too. So what's the cause of pain? Well, here, here's, here's where we have to understand the world we live in and why is there pain and why do things happen and why does disease happen and, and, and why is there sickness and so on and so forth. Well, we have to understand when God created the world, he said that it was good. He, st- he stood back from his creation. He says, you know, this is, this is good. And God gives man a free will and a choice. And he says, listen, you can do all these things, but don't eat from this tree, okay? So I'm, I'm giving you the garden, everything you want. It's, it's for your fulfillment, for my glory, for my purposes. But this one tree, I don't want you eating from that. And what happens is we, we know the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. They rebelled against God because they chose to do something and rebel against God that God strictly forbid them to do. And because of the consequences of their choices, sin came into the world. And from that moment, began to thrust into our lives and into the rest of history, fast forward all the issues that we have today. Because of sin and man's rebellion, we see these things that we live with each and every day in our lives. We see the destruction. We see... Uh, We see the disease. We see all these things because we live in a fallen world. When God created the world, he said it was good. Man rebelled against God and the result was sin. And so now we live in a fallen world. I want you to know this today. Please understand. This is what I believe full heartedly. That God is not the source of all this destruction and disease and death, it's the result of our rebellion against God. It's our fault. And so God is not the source of these things, but here's what's what's important. You see, then, then, then why does God sit back at times and doesn't, seems like he doesn't do anything about it? That's the question, right? Everybody say amen, right? Because you know that's what you're thinking. 
So we sit back and say, well, why doesn't God respond to these times in this evil that we see in this world today or this hardship that we see in this world? I want you to understand that he may not be the source of these things, but he is over everything and he does work all things out for his good. Okay, no, 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 no. Wait a minute, wait a minute, pastor. Wait a minute. Because you don't know my story. You're telling me that my abuse, God can work out for his glory, for his good? Yes. You're telling me what I went through, the death or whatever in my family? That you're telling me that this, that this cancer or whatever, that, that God can work that out for his good and his glory? Yes. Here's why. Let me show you why. Here's why I believe that full heart. And if you can grasp this, it'll give you a completely different understanding of God and how he works through your suffering. Are you ready? We're going to get deep here this morning. I hope you're thinking, I know it's a little early, but we're going to get deep, a little bit deep here this morning, but I hope this helps you. Romans 8.28, are you ready? Here it is. A lot of you know this verse, but let's unpack this verse. It says, and we know that in some things, okay, what does it say? All things. What all means in the Greek is all. Every situation, okay? That's what it means in the Greek. He says that all things, God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, let's get this straight. Are you ready? This is what it's not saying. It doesn't mean that bad things are good. Does that make sense? So the situation or maybe the abuse or whatever you've gone through, that doesn't mean God said, oh, this is a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. Death is not a good thing. That's why Jesus wept at at Lazarus' death before he raised him from the dead. He saw the pain and the heartache that it caused people. It's not a good thing. Death is not a a good thing. It's the result of the sin that we live within in in our world. So it's not a good thing. He's not calling a bad thing good thing. So let's call it what it is. When you go through a difficult time, it is a bad thing. It's a hard thing. God understands that. But here's what God does. He takes this bad thing that we have. And he can work it out for his glory and for his purpose and for his good. Now, if you look at the whole scenario of Jesus coming to the earth and what he had to do for us, if you look at that whole scenario from the outside, it didn't look like a very good thing. In fact, all his disciples were like, okay, you're going to die? That's not a good thing. You're going to go to the cross? You're going to be beaten, bruised, have nails thrust in your hands and your feet? have a crown of thorns placed on your head, and that's a good thing? Did God not use that for his glory? He took something that was so gruesome, so ugly, so horrible, so horrific, and then turns it around in three days, and Jesus raises from the grave, glory, hallelujah, to God be the glory, and we see God's victory over death. That's the hope that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. What God does here is God sends his only son, Jesus, who is God, into our broken, ugly, nasty, evil world to do what? To restore it, to redeem it. That which was broken, he's going to fix through his son, his perfect son, Jesus. Jesus is our hope because he restores us and he fixes our brokenness. If I was already fixed or I could fix myself, then there was no reason for Jesus to come into the world. When I get to the point in my life where I realize I give up and I feel like, God, I'm broken and I've fallen short of your perfection. 
that will bring you on the trajectory of realizing how great Jesus is and how wonderful his grace is towards us and will allow you to reach out to him and cling on to him and him only. Because he's our only hope. He's the only one we can turn to. Now, I may not know why these things happen in my life. I know we try to figure, don't we try to figure those things out? Well, this is the reason why, so blah, blah, blah. And maybe God, blah, God, you're doing this. And, uh, you know, listen, I don't know why things happen the way they do. But we do have a God who understands. And that's what I must lean on. And that's what I must put my full leverage on. Because if I spend the rest of my life trying to figure out why, do, why God does the way he does his things, I'm going to blow my mind. I'm just going to think, well, God, why do you do that? And I'm just going to spend my whole life questioning why he does what he does. But here's the thing I want you to realize. I love this quote by Elizabeth Elliot. She says, the will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. How many of you can relate to that one? You know, looking back at your life, saying, that's not how I thought my life was going to turn out. Right? When you're 18, 19, 20, everything is cotton candy and, right, potpourri. Everything smells good, it looks good, it tastes good, right? And all of a sudden, you start looking back and realize, geez, I never, you know, I'm 50, turned 50 this year, and you're looking back and say, well, I didn't think that was going to go that way. You know, we, we real, <laughs> that's such a true statement. And, and Elizabeth knows what she's talking about because her, her husband, they were missionaries, and her, if you know the story about the Elliots, her, her husband was killed on reaching out to, a, 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 a tribal group in South America and they killed him. So she understands this. See, the will of God is never exactly what you expect to be. It, it may seem to be much worse. Amen. But in the end, it's going to be a lot better and a lot bigger. Those are good words. Here's what I want you to grab on because those are good words. See, you can drive yourself crazy trying to figure out why. And I must remind myself when I don't understand, when I'm struggling with the wise, when I'm struggling with the unknowns, here's what I want you to realize. Focus on this thing. Instead of focusing on what we don't know, because that's always the thing. We want to focus on what we don't know. Here's the thing. May we focus on what we do know. Let's focus on what we do know, because there's a lot of things that we do know. Instead of focusing on what we don't know, let's focus on what we do know. And I think that's what the Bible gives us. The Bible does show us how it all pans out at the end, how it all, thank God for that, right? It, it, It does show us how things work out at the end. And let me just say this, it's good. It's a good, it's a good turnout. It's for our benefit. It's for our good. And we have a lot to be hopeful for in Jesus Christ. So the scars from our past, the hurt and the abuse that may have happened to us, I want you to understand that Jesus bore those things on the cross for you and I. And I know some of you, you have some deep wounds, some deep pains from your past, some things that were definitely not your fault. And I want you to understand this morning that God is not immune to your pain. Jesus came and faces them head on, not only faces them head on for you, but conquers them for you and will use them for his good and glorious purpose. That's the hope that we have in the gospel. So this is what we must focus on. Our future hope is based on the knowledge that God will restore all things again. He will make all things new again. Our future hope is based on the knowledge that God will restore all things again and make them new again. 
Boy, isn't that good news? That is, that is good news. And so the, the, when you read and you look in the New Testament, you look at the apostles and what they went through and what they had to endure. One apostle, the apostle John, he's, he's exiled to the island of Patmos and is given this revelation by God and he gets this glimpse into the future. And, and this is where the book of Revelation is written from, from John's revelation of what's going to happen in, in the future. What is now and what's happening now and what's going to happen in the future. And in Revelation 21, uh, verses 2 and 4, we get this, this glimpse of how God is working for our good. How he's using these things for his good and how he restore all things. And li- listen to what John sees here. And he's to write this down. And this is what he sees. He says, I saw a holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed, Uh, For her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be 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 their God, and 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 he will wipe away what? Every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death, no more mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. God is restoring all things. That's our hope. I I, want to read something to you from, from a pastor here from New York City, Pastor Tim Keller, about suffering. And I think he, he, he captures the thought here really well on how God uses our suffering to work in our life. And, and he says this, if you believe in Jesus and you rest in him, then suffering will relate to your character like fire relates to gold. Do you want to know who you are, your strengths, and your weaknesses? Do you want to be a compassionate person who skillfully helps people who are hurting? Do you want to have such a profound trust in God that you are fortified against the disappointments of life? Do you want to simply be wise about how life goes? Those are four crucial things to have, but none of them are readily achievable without suffering. There is no way to know who you really are until you are tested There is no way to really empathize and sympathize with other suffering people unless you have suffered yourself. There is no way to really know how to trust God until you are drowning. But God is with us in the fire. He knows what it's like to live through the miseries of this world. He understands. He is near, available to be known and dependent upon uh, within the hardship. He walks with us. But the real question is, will we walk with us? with him if we have created a false god of my program when life falls apart we will simply assume he has abandoned us and we won't seek him how you respond to the troubles in your life will go a long way towards whether or not you will ever 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 develop courage ever develop patience ever develop compassion ever develop sobriety and humility ever develop any of these things, and these are the last words he says, don't waste your sorrow. That's hard. You just think, God, I I don't want this. I don't want this sorrow. I don't want to go through this. But God says, listen, if you allow me to take you through this, you will grow deeper in me than you ever would without it. Allow me to use it in your life. Now, for us, it's so hard because we, we don't, for me, let me speak to myself. We are this instantaneous society that wants things over in an instant, right? We want things done yesterday. 
But God says, listen, in the process of you growing in me, sometimes you have to go through these things so that I will do a deeper thing in you. And sometimes God uses those wounds in our life to cause us to grow closer to him. You see, as difficult as our sorrows are, one thing we will discover is God's comforting grace through all those things. And and I I never want you to forget that, that Jesus faces your sorrows for you. Everything we face that brings sorrow is for the very simple reason we live in a broken world. And that's why Jesus came to deal with the brokenness in our life. Um, I love love the story in in Daniel chapter 3 of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and, And the reason why I love the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is is you've got these three good-looking, smart guys. And and they're they're taken out of Israel and taken to Babylon because of God's judgment over Israel. And so you've got what what foreign countries do when they would take over another country. They take the brightest and the best, and they would use them in in their court. And so... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and and Daniel were used in this way to to, to serve the king of Babylon. And so what happens in Daniel chapter 3 is is Nebuchadnezzar builds this enormous statue made of gold that was 90 feet high. And what he calls people is is the great idea is you want everybody to be on your page and to be in, in, in one alliance together. And so he wants all the people to bow down to this thing, to show his power, to, to try to unify the country, and so he wants him to bow down to this image. And so, as 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 the sound and the trumpet sound, and everybody begins to bow down and begin to worship this image, the three guys who would not bow: Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they stood. And so they see this. And say, How dare you do this? And so, because of that, um, they were going to die, and they're going to be thrown in this fiery furnace. And, and to prove his point about their rebellion against not bowing down to this golden idol because they would refuse to bow to anybody but the Lord their God. They, 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 they make the furnace seven times hotter than it should be. And, and the, the guys who were even prefer, pre- preparing the furnace died because the heat was so bad. And so they throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in there, and, and they're, you, know, you just throw them in their men, and they're going to be toast, right? But all of a sudden they look in there and they realize they, they haven't burned up. And what I love about this story is that towards the end of chapter 3, verse uh, 25, when they looked in there, they said, there's this fourth guy walking around. There's this fourth man walking around in the fire with them, and um, his clothes aren't burned up, and he's not tied. And, it, it, and, and what they described is it, it looked like the son of the gods. Now, I know who this was. I know who this person was that was walking around with them. Ruth, who is this person? Walking around. It was Jesus. That's right. This is a Christophanes. This is a pre-incarnate image, figure of Christ walking with them in the fire. In the fire, Jesus is right there with. Can you imagine that? Hey, Jesus, how you doing? It's kind of warm in here, isn't it? It's nice, right? See, I want you to realize this is how much Jesus loves us. This is how much he cares for us, that, that what, what happens here, and, and here's the picture. The picture is 600 years later after that event of the fiery furnace, Jesus would come face to face 
for us the fury of God's wrath on the cross because of our sin. Jesus faced the fire for you and I that every single one of us deserved God's wrath and his punishment. But Jesus took that on himself. He faced the wrath of God for you and I. He paves this road for you and I that says, I'm going to walk with you. Now I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to take your pain and your hurt upon my shoulders so you can bring, so you can have healing and I can bring healing to your life. I think this is what makes Hebrews chapter 4, this verse, just so incredible because this verse now comes alive. The Hebrew writer says this, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest, he's speaking of Jesus, who has ascended to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold, let us hold firmly to the faith we now profess. For we do not have a high priest who is, unable to, uh, to, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And then the psalmist says in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That's the God we serve today. He's not going to leave you alone. He's going to walk with you through that pain. Listen, I'm not trying to minimize anybody's pain here of what you've gone through. But what I want you to realize, if you open your life up to the Lord and say, Jesus, I need you to come into, I need you to come into the furnace with me. I, I, I need you to walk with me through this thing. Guess what? He will. And he'll walk with you through it. You'll learn to cling to him more and more each day. You'll grow deeper and deeper in him because of that suffering. And not that the pain is not there. Not that it doesn't hurt. Not that that bad thing is a bad thing. But God is saying, watch what I do with it. Watch what I do with it. Because when you go through this thing, you're going to look back and you're going to see my grace. You're going to see my mercy. Your heart is going to be changed. You're going to have more compassion. Your heart's going to be more sensitive to me. Come on, people. That's what he's doing. He's doing a deeper work that, that could nowise would ever happen if suffering didn't occur. So God is using these things to refine your faith, just like fire, just like gold going through the fire, to purify it, to refine it, to allow you to be more like his son, Jesus. It will change the way you look at everything. It will change the way you look at people. It will soften your heart. It will humble your heart if, if you allow it. To happen. And here's the hope. The hope is this that God restores all things. This is what I love about following Jesus is that every single one of us are broken. Every single one of us have issues and things we're not proud of and mistakes that we've all made in our life. And God takes all those things and redeems them unto Himself and then uses it as a testimony of his faithfulness to save when we didn't deserve it. Let me just say this. When you talk to somebody and you're, and you're sharing about what Jesus has done in your heart, let me tell you how people start listening to you. They start listening to you when you share your pain and your shortcomings. They'll open their ears to you. 
Where Christians get in trouble is when we say, hallelujah, everything's good. I'm blessed. Are we blessed? Yes, we are blessed people, for sure. But I want you to realize this. When you begin to share your pains and your shortcomings with other people, people begin to listen. Because you say, I'm not perfect, and I've made so many mistakes, and I thank God for his grace because he's restored me. He's redeemed me. And, and even in those bad things I've done, I can say, you know what, God, I messed up so bad, or I made so many mistakes, but God, you, you've redeemed all those things for your purpose and your glory, and you're using me for, for you now. Thank you for that. And even in your suffering, the things you've gone through, you can say, man, I went through this thing in my life, and this hardship in my life, but you know what? I've trusted the Lord. He's been with, with me through all those things. And yeah, I doubted at times, and I struggled at times, but God has been faithful, and I see how good he is. And all of a sudden, the person on the other side is going like this. Wow, that's what C.S. Lewis said is a megaphone to a, to a world that needs to hear it. Use it for his glory now. That God is faithful. That God is faithful to save even in those difficult times of our life. That's why Paul and the rest of the apostles talk about their struggles because they saw God's mighty hand to save and to use it for his glory that people would be drawn unto Jesus and be one to Christ. So allow God to use your life. Don't waste your suffering. Allow God to use it to strengthen you, to cause you to grow deeper in him. So as we go to the Lord's table, this is what what communion is all about. Communion is all about recognizing what Christ has done for us. So we're going to pray, and um, we're just going to go to the Lord's table today and just sing. And if you're hurting today, use this time, use this sacred time as we as we come to the Lord's table to allow God to speak to you. Listen, you don't have to be a member of our church, but we're going to pray. And if, if, if you reach out to Christ and trust him by faith, you're part of his family, and by all means, take communion. And um, as we go to the Lord's table, what we're recognizing is what Jesus Christ did for us. And so when Jesus had this last meal with his disciples, he said, listen, th- this is my body, which is given for you. This cup symbol symbolizes my blood. We're recognizing what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He died a death for you and I to take all our struggles, all our hurt, all our pain, all our sin upon himself. So we're recognizing, Jesus, this is all because of you. And so healing comes through this. So as we just recognize um, Jesus' body and his blood and what he did for us and, and this the symbolism that's behind it, Just take this moment and just recognize who Jesus is. And just whatever you're struggling with today, whatever you're going through today, just reach out to Christ and just say, Jesus, I need you and I need you in in this time because I'm struggling. And allow the peace and the joy of Jesus to strengthen your heart once again as uh, as we take communion together as the family of God. So Lord, we just pray right now that you... You would do a work in every heart here today. Thank you for this sacred time of just taking communion together. I pray for every heart here today that, Jesus, you would just heal and restore and bring joy and peace to those that so desperately needed God. And so as we just recognize what you did for us on the cross, we want to thank you for what these elements mean to us here today. Thank you, Jesus, that everything you did is provided for us through, through the cross. Thank you that you died in our place. Thank you for the healing and forgiveness that comes in Jesus' name. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And it's in your wonderful name we ask these things. Amen, amen.